morning. Welcome to Raising Connections. I'm your host, Ray Shan Mayer. This is the program where we talk about all of your critters, companions, commerce, and agriculture, and the connections between them. This morning, it's Mother's Day, and Mother's Day is something special. After all, we all have a mother somewhere in our past. Mother's Day is a special time to take a look at something that affects all of our agriculture and all of us in a very personal way. Did you know that mothers have a special link to all of their children through their mitochondria and the genetic traits they pass? And what about epigenetics? Are you hearing about this? I bet you are. It might sound like something off Star Trek, but it's affecting our everyday living. Welcome to Raising Connections. Mother's Day is something special. And it takes an entire village, maybe not necessarily just a birth mother, but it takes a village to raise a whole lot of people and make those children into really cool adults. Let's take a look at those things that make a mother special. Mitochondria, the passing of genetic traits, and environmental learning. Back in the 70s, they called this nature versus nurture. And it happens no matter whether you're a sheep, a goat, a human, a dog, horse, a cow, any of those things. And some of the nature versus nurture arguments were quite meaningful back in the day. And then something really happened in 1979. There was this wonderful study that came out that shocked the whole world. And then through the 80s, more and more information came out. In 1979, researchers at Stanford University found cells in a mother with Y sex chromosomes. Now, let's back up for a second. An X, X are chromosomes that mean you get a female. And X, Y are chromosomes that mean you get a male. And it is the fathers that make the difference with that XX or XY. The mothers can only give an X, but the fathers can either give an X or a Y, meaning the fathers are responsible for the sex of the child. So that's a special Father's Day something that we'll have to talk about next month. When mothers give X or XX chromosomes, when the children are conceived, half of the chromosomes come from mom and half of the chromosomes come from dad, except for a few that we're going to talk about. So in 1979, a pregnant woman had X. Y chromosomes in her blood sample. The only way that she could have gotten XY chromosomes in her blood sample was through the child that she was carrying who was not at that point known to be a male. Fast forward to the mid 80s, another female who had male children was having a cardiac issue and had samples of cardiac tissue removed for a biopsy. In that tissue, it really threw researchers for a loop again at Stanford. Half of the tissue in that sample from the mother, a woman who was at that point in her 50s, had male tissue in her heart of all places. The researchers got very curious about this. So again, that nature versus nurture. How does this happen? It turns out that she had had a son and the genetic profile of the cells in her heart matched the genetic profile of her son. So we all know, or hopefully we know, that when you have a pregnancy, there is a placenta and that placenta is connected to the mother and the mother is providing nutrients for growth of that child in the womb. Through that process, there is genetic material exchange between the mother and the fetus through that placenta. And that is how they surmised that the male cells got into the heart of the mother and allowed some of the damaged tissue in the heart to heal. Special Mother's Day, huh? This is just the beginning of our journey this morning on what makes mothers special. It's not always that basket of flowers or the special dinner out or the power tool she's been wanting. It's really what they really do in the beginning. Now, 
As time goes on, we're going to learn this fact, but I think this is a really good place to put it. So the 70s and 80s, the nature and nurture has gone on. And one of the pieces that has come through with the science evidence is you may not have to be a mother in the sense that you have a living child from a pregnancy. It has been found in subsequent studies that a pregnancy up to the age of 20 weeks has allowed cells to cross from the placenta into the mother and back and forth. So perhaps if you are a mother who doesn't have a child from a pregnancy, there is possibility of having benefit or detriment, and we'll get into that, from having a pregnancy. 20 weeks was the time point they were there. Okay, so let's go on further. Diana Bocci, a scientist at Tufts Medical Center, did a lot of testing on this, and she found out that it turns out, here's a quote, and I'm quoting from Beyond Birth, a child's cell help or harm the mother after delivering. So Diane Bucci finds out that it turns out all pregnant women carry fetal cells and DNA with 6% of the free-floating DNA in the mother's plasma, so in the blood, coming from the fetus. After the baby is born, those numbers plummet, but some of those cells remain. Up until 27 years after the pregnancy. One of the things that's here, and let's, let's go along here and think about this. Here's a, here's a 10 cent word for you. Ready? Fetal microchimerism. Chimera meaning two. A chimera means it's made of two, and twins is where this is, comes from. It means that the mother's cell and the child's cell become one. Stem cells come from very young fetus. They come from very young tissue. They come from the baby that the mother's carrying. What has been found out is that women who tend to have autoimmune diseases, there are corrections in those areas of their body where the autoimmune disease is that is related to the mycochimera of the fetus that they have carried. So for example, fetal cells in the skin of women with scleroderma or in the spleens of women with systemic autoimmune disease can also be related to the children that they've carried, meaning that those stem cells, those cells that they have exchanged with the fetus actually has helped some of that autoimmune system repair what's gone funky in the mother's body. As you might imagine, this can be a hot topic. Motherhood in our culture has lots of lots of ramifications, lots of pros, lots of cons, lots of timing, lots of financial choices. And to step back and look at just the biology of it makes it a little more of a um, chimera, if you will. With cancers, there's also some evidence. Dr. Bocci, who's continuing this research from Tufts, is now looking at fetal DNA and RNA in the mother's blood for prenatal testing and thinking that perhaps some of the more invasive tests that are used for genetic analysis in a pregnancy, such as an amniocentesis, could be used through a draw of blood as opposed to a removal of part of the fetal tissue. One of the other things that has been put out there, and again, this is one of those hot topics because motherhood is a hot topic and it never changes. Motherhood reduces a woman's risk of having breast cancer later, and they have associated some of those lower levels of breast cancer with fetal cells in the blood. And the fetal cells that appear to migrate not only to areas with rheumatoid arthritis and some of the autoimmune issues have also been found to be in areas with thyroid damage, liver damage. They may play a role in breast cancer development or the lack thereof. And the stem cells that are being used and being repaired, like we talked about in the beginning, the 50-year-old woman, it more and more commonly to find heart muscle damaged cells from heart attacks being repaired by fetal cells that have XY chromosomes. It's a little, now that we know what to look for, they can actually find XX as well. So just think, the jury is still out on the effects of these mitochondrias, 
but it's really something to watch for in the coming years. How that special motherhood moment, up to 20 weeks is where the cut seems to come, is really affecting both the mother's body as much as the developing fetus. It's one of those things that make you just go, hmm. So in March 10th, there was a question that was asked, okay, so how long after a pregnancy does this happen? Are the fetal cells still fetal? If the child's 15, the fetal cells aren't fetal. Are they stem cells? What are they? And so keep looking because that study is underway. How long does this effect last? When does it happen? And are there other things playing a role in what happens with those fetal cells? I'll give you another name to look out for. Nelson is the last name of the Fred Hutchinson's Cancer Institute, and he's working on the rheumatoid arthritis piece. If you have any questions about that, hello at raisingconnections.com, and I can hook you up with the papers that I've been citing. I know there's a lot of folks out there with cancer issues and breast cancer issues and rheumatoid arthritis that might want a little more information. So hello at raisingconnections.com. Mothers are special. Fathers give us the sex of our baby, whether it be male or female, XXXY, and we have those chromosomes. And then something extra special happens. Have you ever watched Star Trek and the captain gets caught in some planet within a planet that has a microorganism living within the planet that needs a human in it to make everything go and they can't transport him out without exchanging humans or something? Sounds like a Star Trek episode, right? Right. Okay. Well, you get the concept of basic mitochondria then. Mitochondria is the other thing that's special for mothers. And since this is our Mother's Day, you know, we're talking about cells and fetal cells and things that make you go, hmm... Mitochondria, kind of like that symbiotic relationship with the Star Trek folks, mitochondria started out as an organelle outside of a cell. So let's back up. What is a mitochondria? A mitochondria lives in the cells of every human and every mammal. It is an organelle. It's a specialized department that makes energy. That is what a mitochondria is. It is the powerhouse of the cell. And its job is to live in every cell, in a body, in a mammalian body. So sheep, goats, cows, humans, everything have these. Mammals have these. And they make the energy that makes the cell run. And the cells together make the energy that make the organ run. And the organs make the body run, right? That's how we go. What is special about mitochondria? And you may have heard it called the mitochondrial E. Mitochondria are female in origin. This is the linkage between mother to child. Fathers typically do not pass mitochondrial DNA to their children. Mitochondrial Eve is that special linkage between mothers and both daughters and sons. Mothers pass mitochondria to their offspring. It is the mitochondrial DNA that's that powerhouse for the cells. And according to my mom, she said that she was the battery for our house, that if she wasn't plugged in, nobody else would run right. Well, that's exactly what the mitochondria is. If mom is not plugged in and making energy, those cells just do not go. And it comes from the mother's DNA. It comes from the mother's mitochondria. So when we come back, we'll talk about What's special about mitochondrial Eve? And we're going to talk about this epigenetics, I promise you. It sounds something like Star Trek, but it's really a new medicine evolving that you might want to know about. Welcome back to Raising Connections. I hope you're enjoying our program this morning. All things specials about moms and how those chromosomes are kind of interesting and full of things. If you've been enjoying our program or you enjoy Raising Connections on a weekly episode, I'd like to invite you to join me with a look at the lighter side of Mariah Bell Manor Kettle. 
Living Life Tales Up podcast is full of happy, shiny bubbles with all kinds of weird things that happen at Mariah Bell Manor Kennel that eventually make its way onto the radio. Join us at our podcast wherever you get your podcast for Living Life Tales Up. So when we took our break, we were talking about the Star Trek-ness, if you will, of mitochondria. Let's go back because there's some really interesting things about mitochondria. Mitochondria are the powerhouse of the cell and their job is to produce ATP, which are the energy blocks that keep the cell going. And we talked about my mother. If she was the battery of the house and kept everybody else going, the mitochondria is the battery of the cell that keeps everything going. Mitochondria were discovered, are you ready for this? In 1857, by Swiss scientist Albert von Kohler. That's almost seven years before the Civil War in the United States. So mitochondria were discovered. They're an old kind thing. The name came in 1898 by Carl Benda, a German microbiologist who coined the name as a Greek name, mitochondria. Mitos, meaning thread and chondrios meaning granule. So mitochondria, when you actually look at these under the microscope and you see them in a cell, they look like little granules tied together by threads. So if you picture tic-tacs with little threads between them, that's kind of what they look like in the cell, those little mitochondria, little tic-tacs with threads between them. If you were doing them with pop beads, because Mother's Day always has a pop bead or noodle necklace of some kind, at least in my world, it involves those. Think about the little noodles held together on the yarn to make the necklaces. That's kind of what mitochondria look like. And they're the powerhouses in the cells. Interestingly enough, they have their own DNA. And that DNA is unique to the female. Now, there are a few cases, and we'll talk about those. But it's unique to the female, and that's why they call it mitochondrial. No matter if you have a son or a daughter, male or female, child, the mitochondria in those cells come from mom. The 37 genes that are encoded on that mitochondrial DNA are unique. There is a region, and we take you on a thought process here. So we know these look like Tic Tacs or the little noodles on a yarn necklace, but the DNA inside them, when you have a child and you have XY chromosomes, you think of the DNA looking kind of like that. The mitochondria DNA is a circle. It is a complete circle. It is not a start and a beginning. It doesn't have an X or Y to it. It's just a circle. And there's 37 genes on that circle. One area of that circle is called the hypervariable region. And that hypervariable region is unique to the female who's sharing that DNA to their offspring. It's a genetic fingerprint that you can trace mom backwards. One of the questions I had by email, Art asked this question. I think it was a very important question to answer. A while back, he asked me if they are discovering all of these, quote, dead bodies that have decayed, how are they getting DNA out of them? I have an answer for you. Mitochondrial DNA, because it's in a special mitochondria, and it is not in an X or a Y floating out there in the cell nucleus, it is contained in the mitochondria and it's a circular pattern, can actually be identified and the pattern of that hypervariable region fingerprint traced back. The circle structure that contains that DNA is much more stable and much more long-lived than the DNA that's in tissue that disintegrates with death. So that's how mitochondrial DNA goes back so far. This could be found in bone. Mitochondrial DNA could be found in remains that no longer have flesh on their bones. It can be isolated 
because it is such a stable structure, because it's a ring structure and not a different type of DNA structure. So Art, there's your question answered. That's how mitochondrial Eve and the original paper that was published, The Garden of Eden, came to date back. And they have found the original, if you will, and there's a lot of hype around this one, but if you will, the trace is going backwards. Now, we know that we've got mitochondrial DNA, we know that we've got XY DNA, and we know that there are really interesting ways that DNA moves around and passes around and gets all swapped. Mitochondrial DNA, because it is a powerhouse DNA, it's the battery, if you will, is linked to specific diseases, and this is where we're going to cross into epigenetics, is linked to specific diseases. Now, you got to remember, powerhouse DNA, very stable. The energy that the mitochondria creates can affect the energy of the body. Therefore, diseases that are located on the mitochondrial issue are Alzheimer's, muscular dystrophy, type 1 diabetes, multiple sclerosis, and cancers that involve powerhouses and muscles because that's what the mitochondria actually affects. So those are things that would be maternally inherited as opposed to paternally inherited. Epigenetics. We know we've got XYs, we've got XXs, we know there's moms and dads, we know that there is mitochondrial DNA, and we know that there's DNA. And DNA, in the most simple definition of it, is the genetic code for everything that happens in your body. It knows how to make your fingers, your toes, your nose. It knows when your hair goes gray. But what is epigenetics? There's two things that epigenetics really is. It tells when your body needs to make certain genes, and it tells your body when to not make certain genes. So it's the code, the DNA, translates to the mRNA, which is the messenger, that goes off and make proteins, and those proteins then make the building blocks of your body. It tells your hair when to go gray. It tells your toenails how long to grow. It tells when you need to have more food, when you need to have less food, when that powerhouse comes in. It's also the code that says you are going to survive this cancer or you're not. So this is what epigenetics is. There are three ways that epigenetics works. I'm going to say these words real quick and we're going to, don't get hung up on them. DNA methylation, histone modification, and non-coding RNA. And this is what it means. There is a study, and the BBC did a great program on this. I would highly encourage you to go back and look up. Can the legacy of trauma be passed down to generations? There are some fictional novels out there based on epigenetics and some of the new studies. In the 90s, we learned how to code and make pieces and how to use those proteins as building blocks and how that affected healing. Now we're learning some really interesting things about trauma. And again, I would encourage you, if you're interested in epigenetics at all, to go in and watch this because the question was asked, in 1864, the Civil War was ending and the Confederate prisoner of war camps were really bad because after all, the Civil War, anybody who's a Civil War buff, we're here in the Mid-Atlantic area, knows that the Civil War we were as mean to our own people as anybody else. It was a very, very awful war. And it didn't matter which side you were on. We were ugly to each other. Those that survived, and they're well documented because one thing that we did is we documented the Civil War very well. Those who survived the prisoner of war camps from the Civil War had harrowing experiences. And when they left those POW camps, they had bad job prospects, shorter life expectancies. And many of those men had children before they went to war and children after war because birth control was not available at that point. 
So they had children before they went to war, went through the prisoner of war camp, had children after war, often within the same family. So same parents, same genetics, same epigenetics. When you go back and look at those morbidity and mortality results, here's what you find. 11% of the sons after the fathers had been prisoners of war had a higher mortality rate than the son before the prisoner of war experience. This is the basis of epigenetics. Does something trauma in your life create a coding pattern change in your genes that affects your children? We're now back to nature versus nurture where we started. The 11% mortality higher rate of the sons who were born of non-POW, it's very hard for me to say that, I think POW is Vietnam, but this we're talking civil war. Those children of the mortality that they experienced was all due to cerebral hemorrhage. How's that for interesting? Things that you go, hmm. It made the researchers go, hmm. This was an unusually sex-linked pattern because the children that were born to the same parents before the war experience, the POW experience, did not have the same morbidity rate and the same trauma as the ones that came after the father's experience being a prisoner of war. And this is the basis of epigenetics. Costa et al., knowing that this was something that they had found, really went back and said, oh, this is something we have to continue on. They then went to look at other historical evidence. The Costa group looked at studies in remote Swedish villages that mimicked the prisoner of war experience in the United States in the Civil War with children born before the father trauma and then children born after. And the same effect was found. Completely different population, similar effect. What was found is there is an epigenetic effect. And this really started rocking the world. So then there were further studies done on Holocaust survivors. A 2015 study looked at the epigenetic changes to Holocaust survivors. Rachel Yuda did this study at the Traumatic Stress Studies Division at Mount Sinai Studies. And lots and lots of information started coming out of this. And it started in 2018, a really big flame of information about is trauma genetically passed? How can you put trauma into your genes? This is where genetics comes in. Remember those X's and Y's? Remember that epigenetic thing? And I give those three big words, the DNA methylation, histone modification, and non-coding RNA. Is it starting to sound like Star Trek? It's kind of real. What happens is you have all of the code that you need in your body from your mom and your dad. But the way that is expressed is controlled by the way that the genes are being expressed at a certain time. And trauma can change how your genes express. For example, if your body goes through a period of starvation, your hair changes, your skin changes, your body composition changes. And that is a result of the energy and the powerhouse, the way your mitochondria that your mother gave you the DNA that your X and your Y or your XX producing those genes are able to express. And that change makes methylation, histones, pieces of your RNA respond differently, which researchers are now linking, are you ready for this jump? Into smokers and pulmonary heart disease. So if you are having a behavior or a disease or something that is changing how your body is functioning, the function of your body is reflected in how your DNA is coded, 
and your DNA then is coding how your body is responding and how that presence of the disease in your body is manifest. And that's epigenetics, folks. I hope you've enjoyed our program. If you have questions, I would be glad to answer or share any of my references with you at hello at raisingconnections.com. It's really an important topic to understand where our medical community is going because the way that our environmental factors are affecting our DNA, and our DNA is affecting our disease states, treatments for pulmonary, lung, heart, breast cancer diseases are all being addressed with epigenetic treatments. If you have questions, hello at raisingconnections.com. I hope to hear from you and happy Mother's Day.